Hello, hello, it's me, Jacqueline Twilley, best-selling author of Navigating the Career Jungle and founder of Zero Gap, the training and development firm focused on women who work within male-dominated industries. Welcome to the podcast, y'all. Trust yourself in the training you've received to get the job done while you're leading. That's one of the big nuggets that I took away from today's conversation with Annette Wynn. She is the director of Cobb County School District SPLOS Department. We're going to talk about that in the episode. She has over 30 years of experience in architecture and construction. She is also very well respected and highly regarded all across the metro Atlanta area. People speak very highly of her leadership the work that she's done and her community involvement. So I took away so many notes from this episode. When we were speaking, I wrote down a few pages of notes. And then when I went back to listen to the episode, as the team had edited it, I also took away even more notes. This is a jam-packed interview with her. She just shared so much knowledge and I'm very appreciative for that. At the end, she shares her contact details with us all, but you can find her on LinkedIn and her information is connected in today's show notes. All right, y'all, let's dig into it. Hi, Power Banking family. We have a guest today who's about to drop some awesome knowledge. And you may all know that I recently put out a call on LinkedIn to get more women in male-dominated industries on the podcast. And our guest today, Annette, came highly recommended. So I cannot wait to share her journey with you all. Annette, thank you for joining Power Banking. Thank you for the opportunity. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself that's beyond your LinkedIn profile? I guess I'll start by saying that as as your lead-in talked about, I've always been a non-traditional person throughout my life, very independent, very self-directed, just interested in thinking outside the box and, and pursuing new things that aren't typical to um, you know our traditional community. So um, going into the construction field and career was kind of natural for me. Awesome. Well. How did you get into construction? What inspired you to go into that route? Because that is traditionally when we think about construction, we think about men in hard hats. That is correct. It actually goes back to um, my middle school. Met had a science teacher who introduced me to an architect, and that kind of opened my eyes to the whole career of architecture. I began to notice it in television shows like the Brady Bunch, the father there was an architect, soap operas, Lynn Gwen Frame was an architect on Another World. So it just began to open my eyes once again, you know, just being interested in non-traditional things and then being able to work with my hands in terms of drawing and, and working in my shop class in high school where we actually nailed and hammered and just it just gave my interest in something to do beyond just the traditional things for a woman to type and cook and things like that. That is so fascinating that such a, a small thing probably to your teacher really shifted the tide for your career journey. So what has it been like being a woman in a male-dominated field? It's been an interesting journey. It has grown me in a lot of different ways. The one thing that I think I've gotten out of my 30 
some years in the construction field is to trust yourself, trust that you know what you have been trained to do. You can't depend on anyone else to guide you in that area, especially when you're in a position where you're you, your counterparts are there with you and they have their own agenda. I've had to establish my agenda and focus on that. I'm known to be tough but fair. And in doing that, I've gained the respect of my architects and the contractors I've worked with. But at the same time, they know that I'm going to be demanding on their deliverables to us. And it's been interesting. You know, some have been receptive to it and, and others have not. Which I can imagine. So do you think that your educational background, having a degree in architecture, has helped you gain respect of your male colleagues? Oh, definitely, definitely. I went to Howard University in D.C., and Howard, at the time that I graduated, was only one of two schools who had a professional's degree of architecture, which is a Bachelor of Architecture instead of a Bachelor of Arts. And that curriculum taught me from like I said, being able to be able to select the site, to putting together a set of construction documents through the various phases, conceptual design development, construction documents, and even the bidding process. So it helps me to, because I have a full life cycle experience from selecting the site to turning the building over to the owner and the years of warranty that go in after that. And in a lot of cases, my experience has shown that most of my peers have limited areas in the field as opposed to having the full life cycle. And I was just going to ask you about the Bachelor of Architecture because it was unique from, I've mostly seen Bachelors of Art. So thank you for going into that detail. So right now is you're the director of the SQUAS in the Cobb County School District. Can you explain to us what your responsibilities are? Yes. SQUAS is a, a program in Cobb County where we collect uh, one penny sales tax on all of the purchases in the county. And we use that money to establish a program. And we call it SPLOS 1, 2, 3. We're finishing up 4 and we're getting ready to start 5. That money, believe it or not, a penny ends up totaling up to millions and millions of dollars. So our program is split into three areas. We have South Cobb, West Cobb, and East Cobb. I'm the director of the projects on the east side of Cobb County, and the funds that have been allocated for the various schools are um, available to us to implement the program. So in the case of Walton High School, we are replacing that high school, and it's been built in phases. Uh, we're in the second phase of the project now. So those funds are there to establish the program, work with the architect, construct the building, and then we also furnish the building. Same thing with some another high school that we're building there. But then we also have small-scale projects where we may put in fencing to help a special needs program with students who exit the building and we want to make sure they stay on campus or the restrooms might need to be upgraded. So we, we go from, you know, the smallest project on up to a new building if that's necessary. That is fascinating. And I'm familiar with the project because I, I lived in Atlanta for several years. But for those of you 
who are listening to the podcast who are not familiar with this, I encourage you to do a Google search to learn more about it because it is something that I think is quite phenomenal. So, Annette, in your role, how many women are under your supervision and what are the types of things that you do to make sure that they feel included in the workplace? Well, interestingly enough, there is one other woman who's my counterpart, and I don't have any women in the technical area under my supervision right now. In most of my career, it has been supervising men, uh, which, of course, brings on a, a, a special dynamic. But I've had maybe two or three women over my career that I've I've been able to manage and supervise. So I take it, I actually take it a little bigger than that. I don't personally tie it to male or female. My role is to be the best that I can be, and that's what I was trained at Howard to do and, and my mentors and my career. And so I actually advise men who I supervise on how to look at it from a more detailed level. And I think that's one of the things that, as a female, I bring to the table. We're not just looking at just the surface of a project, but what are the small nuances that help to make it a well-rounded project? And, you know, I wish I could say I've, I've had more women to supervise, but there really aren't a lot of us out there, <laughs> to be honest. Right. And, you know, that, that's typical for, for the type of industry that we're talking about. So yes. if you don't mind, I'd like to go a little bit deeper into how you got to your position if you want to share with us some of the things that have helped you to become successful and reach the top ranks in an industry where you haven't interacted with that many women throughout the organizations that you've led. Well, I started out, as I said, at Howard, finishing up my degree in 1982 and came to Atlanta at that time. Uh, there weren't a lot of jobs. The economy was very low at that point. But I had an opportunity to become the first female building inspector with the city of Atlanta. That gave me the opportunity to go out in the field and get more field experience than what I had received in college. So as an inspector, of course, you have codes that you have to abide by. You have different builders that you interact with. And it gave me a good foundation and, and comfort level of being out in the field. I then moved into a position called um, architectural designer, which was also for the city of Atlanta. And I worked on fire stations and community centers and and uh, things like that, supervising, working with architects. That moved me into a position where I was able to design my first building, which was a fire station. And if you're familiar with Atlanta, there's a, in Southwest Atlanta, Camelton Road is a main road there. So we built a fire station in that community. And so I had an opportunity to select the site to do the drawings, work with the engineers to put the project together and manage the budget. That led me into a position of architectural estimator and then architectural program director, which gave me an opportunity to work on some larger projects. From there, I actually moved to Hartsville International Airport and was an aviation design and construction manager during the time that we prepared for the Olympics. So once again, kind of building up to higher and bigger scale projects, we did over $600 million worth of work at Hartsville preparing for the, the Olympics. And um, it was a very grueling experience. So 
I was married at the time, had two children. This is fascinating how you took your first role working for the city of Atlanta in the building code and you progressed in your career throughout. One of the things that things that keep coming up in our conversation today is you're talking about how at each level you increased your confidence. And I think that is so important for our listeners to note is that we hear a lot about women who deal with imposter syndrome, but for you, you're sharing with us the different levels of how you really tap into your confidence. Where do you think your ability to recognize those confidence boosters came from? That is so important. That's one of the things that I uh, focus on when I talk to um, students is that that confidence has to come from within. That's not to say that, you know, I don't have issues that I struggle with myself, but I'm constantly growing. Each of the positions I've had since I left college have helped me build on what I know and my confidence and just being able to when addressing an issue, being able to think back on now as a building inspector, the building codes apply. So how does this, how is that going to help me with this project? I've got to look at the codes early in the project. Don't wait until you finish. Selecting a site. What am I looking for at a site? I'm looking for, you know, how, whether the terrain is uh, flat, whether there's rock, whether there's water, all those things that I experienced in my previous roles now help me as I move into the next level of my career. And I can honestly say that I had a situation this morning where we met with a contractor on a project and uh, we had had a discussion yesterday and literally they told me they were taken aback yesterday from our discussion. But when we had the discussion yesterday related to the budget, I was able to think back on previous projects to say, how did I approach it? And now I can direct the contractor on how to do the work. They have the opportunity to counter and, and disagree or offer suggestions. But as long as it's a win, we're looking at it from a win-win situation. I'm not trying to take advantage of them and I'm keeping them from taking an advantage of me. We're able to build on it. And if you don't have that confidence in what you're doing, it can be read and it can be taken as a weakness. So I've been able to use what I've built from in the past and bring it forward into my current experience and just be confident, not be intimidated. If there's something I need to investigate to get on top of something, then I'm willing to do that. But I'm not going to let someone just come in and tell me what they're going to do on my pro program or on my project without looking into it myself. I, I think that is so so spot on in terms of that confidence comes from within. And you kind of alluded to something when you mentioned talking to your contractors. And if you don't mind, can you share with us some of the biggest lessons you've learned from negotiating? Because in your position, I'm sure that you come up with a lot of negotiations with contractors. Yes, we've, since early on in my, my career, I've had to negotiate. I'm known more as an owner's rep. My title is director, but as a program manager where we are representing the owner, in this case, it's Cobb County Schools, which represents the funds for, of course, Cobb County community. And because of that, I have to look at what's the bottom line. I've got a, a budget that's been set for a project. We may build some contingency in it if it's available, 
But if not, the contractor has agreed to build the building for a certain price, for a certain scope of work, and for a schedule. And I always keep that in the forefront. What's the best situation to maintain my scope, my schedule, and my budget? And that seems to keep me in line with what I'm negotiating for. So if a contractor comes in with this great idea on how to do something or how something's going to look better, then it's not a matter of, okay, let's go ahead and do it. It's how does this, this impact the contract that you originally signed? Is this going to cost me more money? Is it going to delay the job? Is it going to affect the scope of work? Exactly what are you offering to me? And as the owner's rep, I have to make sure that whatever we do is in the best interest of my school system in this case or Hartsville International Airport or the city of Atlanta. So that has been, I really just look at it as you know my markers, my baseline. I'm always looking at scope, schedule, budget, and how it affects the program I'm working with. So listeners, she said that a couple of times. You know, I hope you're taking notes, scope, schedule, and budget. So make sure that when you're going into those situations where you are responsible for a large budget, and as Annette has alluded to, she's responsible for funds from the community. So that's a really public-facing role, and I love her approach to that. So if there is a young woman who's considering going down a career path that you have chosen, what advice would you give to her based on what you've learned over the years? Well, a couple of things, and I've thought about this because it's real important that I feel like I can pass this on to the younger generation of females. You know, they always tell us that we can have it all if you just work hard and go to school. And I can tell you, I've worked hard. I've gone to school. I've raised a family. And my response to that is, yes, you can have it all, but you can't have it all at one time. I think some of the the challenging times of my career has been trying to balance it all at one time. I think I've learned that you have to be fair to yourself. You just can't have it all at one time. I have wonderful children. I had a wonderful marriage. I've enjoyed some of the companies I've worked with, but there's been some that I haven't enjoyed working for. And instead of fighting that battle as I did in the past, now I would say, maybe it was just time for me to move on from that particular company instead of, you know, ramming my head against the wall trying to make that situation work. Take the time, understand what you, who you are, what you enjoy, and spend some time doing those things. Don't just give all you have out to work, all you have out to family and friends. Now, at my stage of my career, I choose the things that are important to me. I choose, I choose to have fun. I choose to enjoy my job. But when I'm off of my job, I'm not taking it with me on vacation like I used to. It's just really important to understand who you are and what your values are first and then choose the path. You know, if you want certifications, if you want licenses, then Take the time and build that into your career and into your life without overburdening yourself so that you don't have fun and you don't have time to spend with your children and your your family. And then the other thing, as I think back on my career, is I wish I had found a partner who understood my career. Because it's a non-traditional career for females, most males don't understand 
what it takes to do my job. So in their minds, they're discounting it automatically about the amount of time and the amount of, of the amount of responsibility. Whereas if someone, if you have a partner who has some knowledge about what you're doing, I think it would help in the long run to maintain a relationship during the process instead of always trying to explain, you know, why you're writing emails at three o'clock in the morning or just out on a site when it's cold and muddy. I think that does help. So I'm not saying not to do it, but just be aware that there are things that you need to look at that will help you in building those relationships with other people who aren't in the same field with you. And that is a perfect segue. When we talk about relationships, are there any professional associations that you would recommend? I'm involved in two professional organizations. One is LEAD, which is oversees the green environment and construction. And then the other is what's called PMP, which is a program manager professional. And those are two areas that I use in my career, but they also have um, some social outlets. There's also an organization called NOMA, National Organization of Minority Architects. And I work with two women's ministries outside of, um, of work. Uh, there are so many others out there. You just have to choose what fits in your lifestyle. I put a lot of time into my schools when my children were in school with the PTAs. And I just think that we have a lot to offer to the various organizations, but they have to fit with who you are as a person. Yeah, I agree with that 100%, finding those various organizations. And as you mentioned earlier, finding that balance of having it all, but not all at once. It seems like one of the themes overarching is that you've selected organizations at different stages of your career that have worked with your family lifestyle and your career Yes. And so that that is so important for each person to understand that it evolves as you evolve and you don't have to stay with one organization for the entirety of your career or your life. So before we end today's episode, tell people how they can connect with you and if you want to share a parting piece of wisdom. Well, I am the director of SPLOS in Cobb County Schools. If there is an interest in, I guess, mentoring or have continuing the discussion from today. I can be reached at my office number. That number is 770-590-4582. I'm in the community uh, on the various projects. And, of course, I'm on LinkedIn, which is how we met, so available there. And, and I'll also mention that I'm in my later years of my career, but I'm also looking for mentors, too, in what I do. I think we have to give as well as receive throughout our careers. There are stages. There's the next stage in my life and career that I'm looking forward to. Also, I'll be retiring in, you know, within the next five to ten years. And there are things that I want to explore or places I want to explore. So I'm always looking to see what other adventures are out there that I can pursue as well. And parting words of wisdom, trust God, trust yourself, listen to that small voice in your head that says that you want to be on a construction site, walking in mud and talking to contractors as opposed to 
you know, being in a nurse's office or a doctor's office, if that's not who you are or what you do and feel comfortable doing, don't do it. Trust yourself to uh, pursue the career that you're truly interested in. I love that. Thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to share with the Power of Banking podcast community. And I will make sure I link up to your LinkedIn profile for any of the listeners if they want to reach out to you. Or if anyone who's listening is looking for a board of director member, I think we have an awesome leader here. So you all should reach out to her uh, because she's open to new opportunities. Well, thank you. Thank you for, once again, for the opportunity of speaking with you and sharing my experience. And, you know, hopefully it connects with those who will listen to, to our interview. Before you go, if you have not left a rating and review for this podcast, head over to the iTunes store and subscribe, but leave us five stars and a comment about what you think of the episode. It is very much appreciated. I appreciate you taking the time to listen to Power Banking because you have so many choice when it comes to podcasts. And y'all, I just don't take it for granted that you would spend a few minutes of your day listening to this episode. Talk to you soon.